Amen. Like I said, if you will uh, have Exodus chapter 12 open in front of you, we're going to be looking uh, at this event of the Passover. And it's a, it's quite a, a well-known story, a pretty famous story. Israel at this point are slaves in Egypt. And God so far has sent nine plagues. The river turning to blood, uh, the, the frogs, the gnats, the, the, the hail, darkness, and uh, there are others. And he sent these as sort of signs and uh, warnings to Pharaoh in order to tell him, the king of Egypt, let my people go. And each time, Pharaoh refuses until this one, the tenth and final plague. And uh, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, they're all tough. Uh, but this one is particularly potent, right? The death of the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt. Death is coming to every firstborn in the land. But God gives Israel a way out, a way to be protected. They have to kill a lamb. They have to paint its blood on the doorposts of their homes. And if they did that, then death would pass over those homes that had the blood of the lamb on their doors. But the firstborn of all the Egyptians die. And this is the last straw for Pharaoh. Verse 31, he finally says, go, get out, be gone. We don't want you around here anymore. And the Egyptians are freaking out, like we're all going to die. Go, go, go. So Israel are finally delivered from death, finally free from slavery in Egypt by the Passover lamb. And the question for us, however many thousands thousands of years later, is of course, why on earth does this matter? Why should we, a bunch of 21st century people, sit around reading this ancient story? And the question that the Bible gives us is really quite simple. Ultimately, it leads us to Christ. This story leads us to Christ. And of of course, it, it leads us to Christ in a couple of ways. First of all, it leads us to Christ historically. What I mean by that is that the Passover takes the unfolding story of the Bible one step closer to the arrival of Jesus. The, the promise to Abraham was that through Israel... Through this, through this special nation, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that blessing, Galatians tells us, is Christ himself. And the forgiveness that comes through him, the forgiveness of sin, the justification, the, the righteousness that believers have in Christ. If there is no nation of Israel, there is no Christ. And so in the, in the storyline of, of the Bible, in, in, in history, we need the Passover to give us Israel, to give us Christ. This is another significant slab in the, in the way that's being paved to the arrival of Jesus. So it, it leads us to Christ historically. But it also leads us to Christ in the sense that it, it paints for us a picture and a sort of outline of who Christ himself is and what he came 
to do. Some of the biblical language that is used for this is, is this, this story is a type or a, a shadow of the substance, Jesus. It's like Jesus is standing there in the background and we can't quite see him, but we can see the shadow that he casts in this story. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 says this, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. John the Baptist famously, when he sees Jesus, what does he say? He says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, which I understand you looked at fairly recently, says that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus dies during the Passover festival. The New Testament is very, very clear that Christ and his sacrifice on the cross is the sort of bigger, better Passover. So if we want to understand what Jesus does at the cross, this event is immensely informative, immensely helpful. Israel's Passover teaches us about the work of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice as our Passover lamb. And this is what I want us to spend our time considering this evening. We're going to see what kind of lamb, what kind of sacrifice Jesus is. We're going to make two observations there. Two observations about what kind of lamb Jesus is. And then we're just going to look at three, maybe four sort of implications or applications. Two observations about what kind of lamb Jesus is, and then three or four things as to what that means for people like you and people like me. So what kind of lamb, what kind of sacrifice is the Lord Jesus? First of all, Jesus is our necessary lamb. He is our necessary sacrifice. We need him. He must stand as a sacrifice in our place. We need his cleansing blood. In the story, the death sentence has been pronounced on all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt. That, that's an uncomfortable thought, isn't it? If we dare to, you know, put ourselves in the shoes of those living in the land of Egypt, it's a terrifying prospect. I'm, I'm a firstborn son. I have a firstborn son. I'm sure there are many in this room. I'm sure you know many, many firstborn sons. It makes the stomach turn. No household is safe. Death is coming to every home, including the Israelite homes. This is unlike all the other plagues where more or less they were kind of automatically kept safe while the Egyptians were sort of plagued. The land of Goshen was kind of kept uh, safe, sort of like a, a, a bubble, a force field of safety around the Israelites there in their home in the land of Goshen. But not this time. Because this time, with this plague, it's not just Moses and Aaron performing the signs on God's behalf. 
but God himself is coming. Did you notice that? Verse 12. On that same night, God says, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn. Or verse 23, when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood. God himself is coming to the land of Egypt. And he's bringing his justice with him. Because neither the Egyptians nor the Israelites will be able to stand before him because of their sins. We often read this story and kind of rightly we see the Egyptians as the bad guys, don't we? But we're told elsewhere, Joshua 24 and numerous other places, that it's not only the Egyptians who are guilty here. Israel were sort of carried away into Egyptian idolatry. They themselves were sinful people. And so God is coming and he's bringing his justice with him. The difference here is not that Egypt are bad and Israel are good. Rather, the difference here is that God has chosen to put his grace and protection over Israel through a particular provision. Death is coming to every home, but Israel, it doesn't have to be your firstborn that dies. A lamb can die instead. There is a way, only one way, but there is a way to avoid the judgment of God if you take a lamb and kill it in the place of your firstborn son. The death of the lamb was necessary to escape the judgment. Now we might think, oh man, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't around there uh, at that time, right? Because that would have been terrifying. Death in every home, oh, just kind of gives, makes your hair stand on end. But folks, this is only a, only a taste of the more severe reality. There is a much more severe reality here that the Bible gives us. Romans 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. In other words, even even one single sin earns us as our fair wages, as our fair payment, death. The death penalty, and not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. The everlasting judgment of God. And not just for every household, but every soul. Every sinner, every human being who has ever lived, has the sentence of everlasting death, has the demands of God's justice hanging over them. It's true for Israel. Oh, it's even more true for every one of us who has committed even a single sin against God, which the Bible tells me is each and every one of us. But God has provided a substitute. Someone to die in our place. Someone to take the knife of God's justice 
for us. Like the lamb dying in the place of the Israelite sons, Christ Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed in our place. We need Jesus. He is a necessary Sacrifice. Hebrews 9 verse 22 tells us, without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. God's justice must be satisfied. We need the blood of Christ. We need his death in our place. We need him to be our Passover lamb or we die under the wrath and just judgment of God. God has provided the lamb. He is our necessary lamb. So he's our necessary lamb. But secondly, he is our perfect lamb. The Lord Jesus is our perfect lamb. You might have noticed at the very beginning of the reading, verse 12, uh, verses 3 to 6 of chapter 12, uh, it gives us a lot of detail about what kind of lamb must be used for the sacrifice. It must meet God's requirements. We're told in verse 5 that this lamb must be a year old. It must be without defect. right? Um, so it must be perfect. I guess that means no, no sickness, uh, no limp, no wonky eyes. I'm not entirely sure what a, what a perfect lamb looks like, but it had to be entirely perfect. And it had to be kept for 14 days, verse 6 tells us, presumably to, to kind of check, that, you know, to, to make sure that, you know, just because it looked perfect to begin with, it might have you know, developed some sort of dodgy disease or, or something like that that wasn't immediately obvious. So, so they, wanted, they needed to test that, to, that it was uh, without imperfections. It had to meet God's requirements that he had prescribed. But it must also meet the needs of the family. The animal must be the, the right size for the mouths that it's feeding. Verse 4 is very concerned that the, that the animal be apportioned out in the right way. So the, the, the animal needed to meet the requirements and the demands of God and meet the needs of the people. And of course, the, the lamb works, right? The, 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 the lamb was effective. Verse 30 tells us that come the morning, there was wailing throughout the land of Egypt, as there wasn't a single house without someone dead. But in verse 27, Israel's homes were spared because the lamb died instead and they were free. The Passover lamb worked. It was effective because it was the perfect lamb. And this, folks, is what we have in Christ. The perfect lamb whose death works, whose death is effective for us. The Lord Jesus meets the requirements of God. First Peter chapter 1.19 tells us, We are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In other words, he is sinless. He is perfectly pure. He is perfectly obedient to God's commands. Perfectly carrying out the eternal plan for which he was sent. And so God accepts his sacrifice because he meets all of God's 
requirements. And the, the resurrection is that sort of big announcement of that very fact that the price has been paid in full. Justice is satisfied. Christ has met all the requirements of God. And so he meets all our needs. Jesus is the only one qualified to bring us to the Father because he is, as we've just sung, perfect God and perfect man. If he was not man, how could he represent us before God? How could he be our our better Adam? How could he make atonement on our behalf as our great high priest How could he grant us or sort of credit us with his real sinless life, with his righteousness? He had to be man. But he had to be God. Because who who could deal with sin against the infinite God other than the infinite God himself? Jesus, the God-man, is the only one qualified to take our death and give us life. To take our sins and give us his perfection. To take our hell and give us his heaven. He is our perfect lamb who meets all of God's requirements and all our needs. And therefore, his finished work is effective for us. Not a single sin that you bring to the Lord Jesus will be unforgiven. Not a single sinner who comes to him will be turned away. No one sprinkled in his blood will be lost. Everyone who will, who will feast on Jesus and, and take him in by faith will be full because he is the perfect, effective lamb. Christ our necessary lamb. Christ our perfect lamb. Folks, this is, I mean, this is the simple gospel, isn't it? This is the, this is the glorious message of the whole Bible. This is the message of Christianity. Jesus is our Passover lamb who redeems us from sin and slavery and death. So what must we do? How must we respond to the death of our Passover lamb? I think we've got time for four. Four applications. Number one, apply the blood. Apply the blood. Let's read uh, verses 22 and 23 of, of Exodus 12. Verse 22, Moses instructing the, uh, the, the people. He says, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes out through the land to strike down the Egyptians, 
He'll see the blood. He'll see the, he'll see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. It was not enough for their Passover lamb to die, but the blood had to be applied to the doorframe. And the people had to stay inside. The people had to hide behind the blood. The blood said that one has already died here. A death has already taken place in this home. If they didn't paint the blood on the doorframe, or if they dared to venture outside on their own, outside beyond the blood, they would meet the destroyer and they would perish. And in the same way, we must apply the blood of Christ. We must Hide behind his blood. In other words, we must, we must trust. We must trust in Jesus Christ. We must trust in the lamb that God has provided. We must depend on Jesus and Jesus alone. There is nothing else that contributed towards the Israelites' safety in this story. It was the blood and the blood only. With it, they are safe as anything. Without it, they are in deadly peril. We must depend on Jesus Christ. And when we do, the Spirit of God takes Christ's finished work, takes his death, takes his blood, and applies it to us. He makes it count for us. As if God looks on us and sees, ah, One has already died here. My son has died in the place of this one. He is safe and welcome because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus. The question is, do you trust in him? Do you trust in Christ? Has his blood been applied to you by faith? When when the angel of death comes... When judgment day comes and we stand before the throne of God and every thought and every word and every deed is judged according to God's holy law, what is your defense going to be? Why should you not be condemned? Ah, because I was, I was better than average. Because, because life was, was tough on me, so I, I need to, you know, be let off the hook a little bit. Because, because my family are Christians. I got baptized. None of that will stand. None of that will count. The only defense we have is the blood of the Lord Jesus. The blood of Christ applied to me. 
I know my sin. I know I deserve judgment. But Jesus took it in my place. Hide behind his blood. Trust in Christ. Trust in that necessary sacrifice. And you will be safe. You'll be forgiven. You'll be cleansed. You'll be qualified for heaven. Saved from hell only by his blood. There is no other way. We must apply the blood. Secondly, Have confidence in the blood. Have confidence in the blood. Every Christian experiences doubts and fears, right? Feeling uncertain whether your sin really is forgiven. Whether God really does love you, whether he really does accept you. Maybe that's just me, I don't think it is. Let me share an illustration that's completely stolen from another preacher. Some of you may be familiar with it, but it it has drastically helped me. I hope it helps you as well. Imagine two Hebrews on the night of the Passover. And one of them is getting his preparations ready, and he's sort of whistling as he goes. He's got a skip in his step. He's he's chilled out. He's he's, he's dead happy. He's he's painting the, the blood on the doorpost, and he's calm as you like, goes inside, has a very chilled out night waiting for the, you know, the, the, the angel of death to pass over and he can get on with his freedom and, and, and redemption. Another Hebrew, doing all the very same stuff, making the preparations, he's taking the lamb, he's painting the blood on the doorpost and, and, and all that business. But he's trembling, he's sweating, keeps getting pangs of, oh, but, but what if? Constantly watching his firstborn son out of the corner of his eye. Jumping at every sound that he hears. Terrified. That night, the angel of death comes. There's the confident man. There's the terrified man. Which one loses his son? Trick question, right? The answer, of course, is neither. Neither loses his son. Because the angel of death doesn't pass over them on the basis of the the strength of their faith. He doesn't pass over them on the on the basis of their sort of clarity and maturity and sort of certainty of what's about to happen. It doesn't pass over them based on the intensity of their faith. It passed over on the basis of the blood of the Lamb. And folks, we we as believers can worry and we can doubt and we can fret, right? Like, how, how could God possibly love me when I'm like this? What if I've not quite made the cut? What if my faith is just too weak? And our consciences accuse us and the law of God accuses us and Satan accuses us. And true enough, we are guilty. And we are undeserving. But there is an answer to those accusations. The answer is the blood of our Passover lamb. Thomas Watson 
put it like this in this way that only Puritans can. He says, a weak faith can lay hold of a strong Christ. An effective Christ. We sing, don't we? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of my guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. We can have confidence in the blood. Christ's effective blood. He is the objective ground of our salvation and confidence before God. Folks, apply the blood. Have confidence in the blood. Thirdly, leave Egypt behind. Leave Egypt behind. In verse 11, the Israelites were to take this Passover meal, and it's at night, but they were to be dressed not in their pajamas, but but ready for a journey, right? Shoes on, staff in your hand, ready to go. This is God saying, look, Israel, it is time to say goodbye to Egypt. This is no longer your home. You're going on a journey, you're going on a, on a pilgrimage through the wilderness to the land that I have promised you. And folks, so are we. When we hide behind the blood of Christ, we are set free from slavery to sin. We are set free from the world and the flesh and the devil. And we are brought into a pilgrimage, a journey where heaven... The new creation is the final stopping point. We are just passing through this world. So don't live for the things of this world. Or the pleasures that sin promises and and wealth and impressing others and comfort and, and beauty. And, you know, some of those things might be good things, but don't live for those things. Instead, live for the world to come. Live for God in worship and obedience to Him. I understand you, you, you've been working through the Ten Commandments recently. That, that is, that is the, the road map for living, not for this world, but for the things to come. This is the application that, that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 7. He says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, because Christ has been sacrificed, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Saying, look, Christ died for our sins. We're covered in his blood. We're free. So leave behind those old ways of malice and evil and walk in sincerity. Walk in truth on our way to our eternal inheritance. Seeing the Lord Jesus face to face and every tear wiped away. 
Apply the blood. Have confidence in the blood. Leave Egypt behind. Fourthly and finally, remember our Passover lamb. Remember our exodus. God gives Israel an annual feast to, uh, to remember this night from generation to generation. We're told that verse 14, it's to, it's to be a, a commemoration, a memorial, this Passover festival. It's a, it's a means for them to, to teach their children. It's a means for them to teach future generations what the Lord did for them. And by the time we reach chapter 16, we can kind of see why this might be important. Chapter 16, this is a month after they've left Egypt via the Passover lamb. And chapter 16, verse 3, if you flick forward a few pages, says this. The Israelites, this is, uh, they're, they're now in the wilderness, the wilderness of sin. And uh, the Israelites are without food or they're concerned that they're going to run out of food. And here's what they say. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand. What's that referring to? Plagues. Maybe specifically the tenth and final plague. If only we had died there. If only he had never done these amazing wonders for us. There, they say, we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. They're delusional. They're thinking, life was better back in Egypt. Really? Really? But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. God, Moses, you're a cruel bunch. Forget your Passover lamb. It would have been better for me, it would have been better for us to have died back in Egypt. Folks, that's blasphemy. It's spitting on the redeeming work of God. And God gives them this meal, this Passover meal, to take year after year as a reminder so that they would remember and teach and, 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 and be strengthened in the goodness of God in redeeming them from Egypt. Folks, I don't know if you've ever been tempted with that lie that Satan loves so very much. Wasn't it better before all of this Jesus business? Wasn't it better when you, you didn't have to worry about how you behaved? Wasn't it better when you know your, ch- your church just weren't so demanding of your time? Wasn't it better when you could just live free from concerns of guilt and heaven and hell and all of it? Just... Hey, go back. Remember all the good stuff you used to have when you were a slave to the world and the flesh and the devil. Satan loves that lie. And we are prone to believe it. But if we will keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus, our necessary perfect lamb, on the blood that he spilt for us. Keep coming back to this miracle 
that took place when the Holy Spirit applied the blood of Christ to you. Remember, remember your Passover lamb. That is the defense against all the attacks and lies of a cruel and vicious enemy. Apply the blood. Have confidence in the blood. Leave Egypt behind. And remember our necessary, perfect, effective lamb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the lamb without blemish, without defect. That you came, God in the flesh, to die a sinner's death and to redeem your people. Lord, forgive us for when we minimize these things. Forgive us for when we are tempted to look back at the world and look back at our old life and think it was better then. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have paid for every single sin that we bring to you in faith and repentance. Thank you that you have done everything necessary so that we can have confidence in your blood. Help us, Lord, to have confidence in your blood, to apply the blood, to trust in you, to we, we, keep us, Lord, from trying to stray out beyond the blood and to hide there, to leave Egypt behind, to walk in your ways into the glory of your name every day of this pilgrimage until you take us home. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.